Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. It was a handshake heard around the world as Brian Cody greeted Henry Shefflin at the final whistle, but there didn't seem to be much warmth between the two Kilkenny legends as Henry got one over on his old manager as Galway eked out a one-point win over Kilkenny at Pierce Stadium with a late Connor Cooney free. We're going to be joined by Eddie Brennan on the Throne Podcast in a couple of minutes to discuss all the weekend's hurling action. And then in part two of the show, Dick Clerken will join us to go over all the football. But for now, Michael Verney is here with me, Michael. And what an occasion we had in Pierce Stadium, Salt Hill yesterday. It was always being built up as this, you know, kind of teacher versus student battle. And it, you know, developed into a very dramatic game. Yeah, no, it certainly did. Uh, I know the two lads, Henry and Brian Cody, would definitely not want it to be about them, but there was probably no way it was ever going to be not about them. And I suppose, as you say, the handshake there, it's going to be about them the next day they play and potentially the next time after that as well. But just a really kind of a, a, fa- a fascinating game. It looked like Galway were in control. Then it looked like they'd maybe lost it and to kind of save their bacon maybe at the end and got a huge result that, that puts them on the front foot and puts Kilkenny on the back foot. But... Say there's a there's a fair chance the two of them could meet again in the Leinster final yet. Yeah, and it was a busy football weekend as well. Tyrone, obviously the big casualties being beaten by Derry. That means both Ireland finalists are now into the qualifiers. But there was big action across the board. You know, we had Leinster and Connacht too. You know, Ross Common advancing to a Connacht final. Westmead booking their place in the Leinster semi-final against Kildare. You know, busy weekend overall. Yeah, and just on Westmead, I suppose they're probably the one team that aren't going to be talked about in the Leinster semi-final draw. They play Kildare. Everybody seems to take it as an assumption probably that Kildare are going to be uh, in a, a Leinster final. But a big result from, from Jack Cooney's team, uh, having Kieran Martin back and just you know turning over. I think they were beaten by four points when Longford played them there in the Division 3 earlier on this year. So that's a big result for them. And as you say, Ross Common and Sligo, you know, Sligo had nearly sending off and the game was kind of you know over thereafter. And Roscommon were able to keep them at, at arm's length. But um, probably a big duel down the line there between Roscommon and, and Galway, you'd, you'd imagine. So, um, and then obviously, you say Westmead play Kildare. Um, so, yeah, lo- loads of action. Serious amount of football games across, across the board uh, this week. This weekend, in fairness, things are really heating up. And some, things are heating up and things are cooling down from other teams. Some teams have gone into the Talchon Cup, which in fairness, the general opinion I've gotten from and the thoughts from managers, it does look like they're going to treat it with the respect that it deserves. So hopefully the GA will give it the respect that it deserves and promote it as, as much as possible because that'll be kicking off in two weeks and it's going to be an awful lot of things going on. So it's important that they put it, put it as front and centre as they possibly can. Well, we'll dig into the football a bit more in depth with Dick Clerken in just a bit. But now we're delighted to have Eddie Brown on the show to go over all the hurling action. Eddie, how are things? Not too bad. All good, Will. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Appreciate you joining us. And we'll have to start with the drama in, in Pierce Stadium yesterday. Galway snatching a very late win against Kilkenny with that Connor Cooney free. And writing in today's Irish Independent, you said that if Kilkenny had snatched a draw, they wouldn't have deserved it. Why do you think that? I suppose um, they were probably out fought for long periods of that match. Um, you know, the Galway got off to a bit of a flyer and then Kilkenny kind of exposed them uh, you know, in dramatic fashion with two goals. Um, you know, obviously on Cody was was central to both scoring one of them. And I think, you know, the first finish was absolutely brilliant. Um but we might talk about on Cody later on. But um I think, you know, for long periods of that match, you know, after about 15, 20 minutes, uh Galway adjusted tactically, they sat back, Park Manion sat a little bit deeper. And uh I think there are two guys wearing the midfield numbers for Galway, uh, you know, Cooney and Monaghan didn't really play in midfield. They were kind of all over the place, really, but they were like, uh, I think they possibly jumped in as two wing forwards because David Bourke seemed to be the one sitting back a little bit. And they just, uh, they pressed up on Kilkenny very hard. They turned Kilkenny over. Uh, I, I stand to be corrected, but I, I make it about one fifteen was got where Kilkenny had possession of the ball and Galway took it off them. 
So um, that tells a big story in my in my view. But um, yeah, look, I, I just think, look, Kilkenny do what they do. And don't get me wrong, I'd have taken a point, I'd have taken a draw. It would have been some draw to take. But uh, on the on the balance of things, you know, and the scoreboard is, is all that matters. But I think on the balance of things, God, we're just edged uh, the physical battle and, and, and the, the, real, the real desire for the win. Yeah, Michael, what jumped out to you watching it? Uh, I tell you what, Eddie says that Kilkenny wouldn't have deserved a draw and it would have been a disaster from a Galway point of view if they'd gotten a draw or potentially, you know, if that ball had ended up in Tom Phelan's hands and Kilkenny had gotten a winner. Having been in a winning position against Wexford and blown it somewhat, if they'd also blown uh, a lead against Kilkenny, it would have been a bit of a disaster for them. But you could see the emotion after, uh, particularly from the players now. Not that the pressure is off now, but they've gotten a big win uh, on home soil good big kind of vocal crowd there they've performed well they've performed well in their three games but it just probably has tailed off in the two big games towards the end and just getting and Eddie will know from playing in games sometimes you just need to get over the line and it doesn't have to be that pretty at the end or maybe you have to get a controversial call but in fairness to, to Connor Cooney uh, really stood up you know there was no doubt in that free it was right, o- right over the black spot and I, I think as Eddie said there you know Galway had most of the best performers yesterday. Joseph Cooney, again, brilliant. Tom Monaghan, who'd been on the periphery the last three or four years, brilliant. Parik Mannion. Carl Mannion, maybe not, not as influential, but still influential at times. And I think it was just key for them to get a win. Um, if you're asking me what, what stood out, Will, though, like, there's no point saying any different. Like, I was absolutely fascinated by the handshake after the game. I have to say, and I know you might think it's trivial or whatever, but you could analyse it a hundred different ways. And I'd love to know you know, how many times it's been watched online in the last, you know, 16 to 18 hours? Because I've, Eddie said off air, he's watched it about 10 times. I've watched it about 50 times and I seem to see a different thing every time I look at it. Um, I throw it back to you, Eddie. Like, what was your initial reaction? <laughs> what, what was your initial reaction? You would you, do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> what was your, your initial reaction when you looked at it first or even after looking at it a few times? I, I think, I, I'll be very honest, I only seen it uh, late last night. Uh, the very end of it, because I think on the live shot on RTE, they kind of stopped as Henry was turning away. But it was only afterwards when we actually saw the actual closure of it. And I think RTE then cut to Henry heading down the tunnel. But when we saw that the footage last night, um, I just went, oh, Jesus, it, it, it just, it was cold. Um, and again, look, I think what it, it probably tells you more than anything is that you know, I heard before about politics, how the dominant hand is on top and there's all sorts of body language in that type of stuff that these world leaders use. But you could see yesterday, Cody was fairly in control of that handshake. And, you know, I, I just, I, I suppose, I, I don't know, you don't know what to, I think he was just, what it brought out maybe was, you see with Brian Cody, personal and all that is put to one side you know, they're there as two competitors and he is, you know, hurt after losing. And I think that was the, the other thing. Um, but then look, there's all the subplots that you kind of go, look, was, was you know, was Henry Shefflin asked to go into the Kilkenny setup at one stage? Brian Cody, anyone that, that, that thinks that that was kind of a new thing about Brian Cody. Brian Cody, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised that the whole way it played out, but I'm not surprised at him because... He's an ultra, an absolute competitor, but he would look at, and one of his main traits is loyalty to Kilkenny. And I don't mean, you know, I'm not trying to start a pot here, but I'm just saying that's the way Brian would be. He is solely concerned with Kilkenny being successful and nothing else gets in the way of that. And, and I suppose that's what you saw in him there yesterday. And like you said there, I concur with you, I'd say it is definitely the most watched piece of footage and it will be discussed and fill columns for the next week at least. There was an awful, there's an awful lot of context to it, as Eddie says there. There is, like, by, by all accounts, um, Henry is understood to have, you know, turned down the opportunity to work under Cody. And then Henry goes to Galway. And betrayal is too big a word. But you know what I'm saying? That, that it would be potentially viewed that way. There's also the context of, I think Brian Cody was out in the pitch remonstrating with Colm Lyons over the free and was, you know, clearly tensions were very, very high. And I think Henry met him out there. 
So, like, you don't know what happened in the preceding 15 or 20 seconds. You don't know whether anything happened on the line over a call or anything either during the game, yeah, as yeah. things do happen. But I do I think... think it, yeah, go on. I do think it's funny, No, sorry. Yeah, you're obviously the only other ex-Kilkenny player that has ever shook hands with Brian Cody at the end of a, a game before. But your handshake with Brian in Nolan Park was a little bit more amicable than the one yesterday, I think. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a league as well, so... <laughs> There wasn't as much at stake and, uh, you know, there's, there's that side of it. But, um, yeah, look, I, I spoke during the week about this and I expected, look, Jesus, you'll see two competitors. But like you said there, there's a lot going on at that time. And I think maybe, I think too much has been made of, of, of the interpretation of it because, like you said there, Brian Cody is looking at a, you know, a highly contentious call at the end. And again, my view, and I try to, I said, I'm obviously biased to Kilkenny to a fraction. Well, <laughs> You, you are subconsciously and that's it we all are but I think if you take out that incident on its own I mean if Paddy Deegan doesn't commit to that at that stage in the match I'd be hopping off him but Paddy Deegan's first contact is his hurl getting the ball and I think anyone that, that has played the game long enough and if I was the shoes on the other foot I'd say the same and that comes after that is bonus it's, it's, it's just irrelevant once he connects with that ball with his hurl and it probably happens very fast for Colin Lyons because he's literally turning around after a goal and I just thought, I think even two, probably nine, nine out of ten refs at that point in the match would have probably been happy to go, oh, here, let's get out of Dodge with a draw. Um, <laughs> so there's that going on for Brian Cody as well. And it's raw then. And I think it's different, you know, if the two boys met afterwards and all this kind of stuff. But definitely um, a lot has been made of it. But it, it, it's certainly a story. There's no doubt about it. Just on that, Will, as well, the, the final call was probably the most contentious call at the end of a game. Yeah. Probably the 2014 All-Ireland uh, drawn game where Brian, Brian Hogan ran up and it was whether it was going to be a free in or a free out. And it was kind of similar yesterday. And Kilkenny probably got away with it in 14, but didn't get away with it yesterday. Plus, if the ball had broken, it was in Tom Feeling's handy and it shot 65 and Kilkenny win the game. So... Cody's bound to be like disappointed and upset after. So there's an awful lot of context to it, but it, it was like there's got they're gonna meet again more than likely. And I can just see the RTE promo, you know, Cody v Shefflin part two. This time oh, it's personal. Wouldn't, you know? wouldn't, they, wouldn't they love a Leinster final now? Wouldn't we all love a Leinster final yeah. now? And even for down the line, fast forward to 12 months' time, the repeat the, the, the reverse is gonna happen in Nolan Park. So that just really promotes that element of it, it just adds a real edge to it. But uh, yeah, if uh, it, it, the slow motion. Yeah, just one last thing on, on that, Eddie. Like, you know, how controversial has it been, like Henry going in to one of Kilkenny's big rivals in the championship? Obviously, he wanted to start in management. It was a great opportunity. But around Kilkenny, has that proved to be kind of a, a big sticking point? Are people kind of a bit angry or do they feel betrayed? I think they're, it's probably indifferent and probably not even really strong opinions on it as of yet because a lot of people I think it took a lot of people by surprise a little bit and they would have said okay that's Henry's gone to Galway and and I think it was there's maybe the surprise element that people are waiting to see but I would have felt at the time you know and Henry would have considered all this without a doubt like um, I think you know going to one of your main rivals is a big call like it's it's you can say it's 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 courageous of him or whatever and say, look, he's looking at that as a challenge. But I still, I, I tried to put myself into his shoes yesterday and I said, Jesus, that has to be a very difficult situation to be in because his nephew was on the pitch. You're plotting how to shut down your own nephew who is, you know, going home to maybe, you know, Henry's own kids, I'm sure, were, you know, up there supporting Kenny. So there's, there's, it's, it's difficult. And look, he would have considered all that, but I would have felt at the time that where this could play out even further or where it can come to fruition is when when Kilkenny go to Galway and come home defeated and maybe you know it ends up hurting Kilkenny I think that's where sometimes people then can kind of go okay we're, we're not we're not too happy now about this or whatever but it'd be interesting to see I think on that point will it won't be fully uh, spoken about really until the impact of it is is maybe seen and if it continues that we'll say Galway you know under his stewardship uh go on to dominate and beat Kenny, you know, it, it, it can maybe manifest then. Potentially a Leinster final meeting, as we mentioned there. Michael, so, you know, we've gotten a good kind of opportunity to watch the Leinster counties over the last couple of weeks. You know, we've seen Wexford play Galway, Dublin play Wexford, now Kenny Galway. Do you think there's an All-Ireland winner potentially in Leinster? I know Limerick and Waterford are being talked up maybe at the moment as the two favourites, but what, from what you've seen over the last three rounds, can a team from Leinster go on and win the All-Ireland, do you think? 
Uh, I don't think so. Well, if I'm being honest with you, um, if I was doing a power rankings of you know the top hurling teams at the moment, definitely be two monster teams at the top, and I think potentially Clare would be would be number three because it looks like they're going to come out a monster. And you know, at the end of last year, being honest, I would have had a probably one, two, three, four, five the month the monster counties. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, um. So I'd be very surprised at the moment if uh, if a Leinster team were able to go on and win the All-Ireland. They obviously have Galway were the last team um, to really put it up to Limerick in the All-Ireland semi-final two years ago. Um, and there's signs that they're coming again, but they are, like Joe Canning has retired and they're kind of rebuilding a small bit as well. So uh, obviously you say that and you say Kilkenny were the last team to beat Limerick as well. You could throw that into the mix too, but... I just I just don't think so at the moment. I think Leinster is highly competitive and you could throw a blanket over the top four. But I still think, you know, Waterford are a step ahead of, you know, the vast majority of Leinster and Limerick are probably a step ahead of them. So if you're asking me, no, I, I, I wouldn't see um I wouldn't see a Leinster All Ireland winner this year if I'm honest now. Hmm. Yeah, Eddie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I I I'd be I'd be aligned with what Mick is saying there. I think Looking at yesterday, if you were to put that match, and it was a good, intense match, it was championship fair. But at the same time, I think if Limerick and Waterford, you know, you look at their match last Saturday week, it was, you know, it was just, it was two gears above that in terms of intensity and physicality. Uh, and again, look on a, on a once off, we just never know with Hurling. But definitely, I don't think, uh, I don't think Limerick or Waterford, you know, would have looked at that yesterday and said, Jesus, we're fearful of them. I mean, obviously, respectful and all that. But I think, uh, they wouldn't have something that's going to keep them awake at night. They'd still fancy themselves. Like I think Galway, like Michael said, they're they're in transition a little bit. They're trying to build again, but I I still don't for world beaters as it is. I mean, it, there's still so much can happen in Leinster. Um, you know, Galway are facing Dublin in their own backyard in the last round. You'd expect them to pick up the bonus. You know, the 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 score and average the next day. But Kilkenny now have really tough run in. They have to go to Parnell Park next weekend. So. Um, yeah, definitely power ranking side of it. Munster, Orland is just that little bit above at the moment. Uh, and it's hard to see where a bolter for the all Ireland title is going to come from. As I said at the start of the year, it may well be clear. And then, you know, who knows after that. But, but definitely, it's still hard to look outside Watford and Limerick at the moment. Yeah, and from a Kilkenny perspective, as they look to you know, bounce back from this defeat, you mentioned Dublin next up in Parnell Park. Like, what, what do you want to see? What areas are kind of chief among your concerns? I think our, our, our in-game awareness, being able to, to, to blend from one way of playing to another, I, I, I think yet again for me yesterday, and it's, it's, it's disappointing a little bit, you know, just to see for whatever reason, Kilkenny just seemed to just go route one. And I think uh, it's not that one way works the whole time, but I think when, when Galway gave Kilkenny an extra man nearly for most of that second half and even parts of that first half, you have to mix it up a little bit. Galway quickly reacted to the fact that Walter was one of the targets off the puckouts. He caught one or two really good. And Galway just adjusted to that very quickly. So I thought after that, then Kilkenny's ability to carry the ball out is 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 your next, you know, your your option. But Galway obviously targeted that before half time and got great innings. But Kilkenny then, you know, cleared him out in the second half. And it was just something that they just didn't do. And I think in a match like that where there's no real uh, you know extra you know different tactics you're talking two guys that would be quite similar make a little tweak here and there to counteract the other but I think I would like to see Kilkenny you know we've seen him at occasions during the league and, and fair enough you'd say there's not massive amount of stake carry the ball through the lines carry to that higher platform in midfield Mikey Carey you know when you think of the first half against Cork in the league uh, semi-final this year that's the type of play that you want to see and, and be courageous enough to say well coming down the straight we have to maybe get one or two of those to stick. Like you'd say yesterday, if you had Adrian Mullen, and I saw him dropping back a fair bit into the seven pocket. If Adrian Mullen gets on a ball in that area, you know, with that breeze behind him, he's probably able to slip over a point, maybe bring Parig Welsh out because Parig Welsh, uh, you know, was nullified yesterday by Garod McInerney. So, you know, he's a guy that can play anywhere. So maybe when that wasn't working, maybe ship Parig out to midfield or wing back in the second half where he's good at carrying the ball. So it might be something like that, but I definitely think we Kilkenny needs to be able to blend it. I think you can't come down the straight and just start poking ball a little bit aimlessly and a little bit long. I think that suits a defensive unit uh, if you're set up and you're, and, and you're organised. 
Just lastly, Eddie, on, on TJ Reid, uh, what's your view on that? Is there a, a knock? I know he was carrying a groin injury coming into the championship. Um, is it him being taken off because he's out of form? Uh, is it him being taken off because he's potentially been you know, looked after for down the line? And where do you see his role within the team at the moment? Yeah, it's hard to know. I, I, I'm pretty sure he started that kind of come out around centre forward at the start and then he seemed to play outside a little bit. But uh, to just, it's gas. I, I missed the warm up yesterday watching it and uh, it was only just, it was commented uh, by a friend of mine that he said, geez, he, he looked a bit off even in the warm up. So, you know, maybe we'll find out he was a little bit sick or something like that because even that first free he struck, like he never followed through on it. He just stopped on it. And normally they're the ones that he would put over in his sleep. And that, look, Maybe he, I know he had that uh, he had an injection going back six or seven weeks ago for a groin injury that he has been carrying since the club. So look, maybe the the remnants of that is still there. He hasn't fully shook it off, but he definitely wasn't himself. He definitely looked a bit off color yesterday. And whatever that is, whether it's just a little dip in form or whether it's his illness or injury, who knows? Uh, but I, I I would like to see him. I I, I know they they're going with seem to be Billy Ryan and uh, on Cody inside, but I'd love to see. T- TJ inside I think he was devastating in 14 I think as a full forward you know the quality ball into him and therein is the trick can we get quality ball into him have we other ball winners there and that's where I'd like to see TJ close to the goal yeah fairness to Alan Murphy when he went in the freeze in the second half he hit some some really good long range ones Michael just to finish up on Munster then you know you mentioned kind of the pecking order there and Claire's you know impressive win over Cork backing up that Tipperary victory you know, what's, what's the story for you? Is it Clare's kind of resurgence, you know, in this championship or is it Cork now two defeats from two after being in the Ireland final last year? It looked, you know, like they're staring down the barrel of elimination. Yeah, it's probably easy to focus on the negatives with Cork. But if you look at, you know, the amount of talk in Clare over the past probably 16 months about, you know, their minors getting annihilated in the Munster Championship, all sorts of uh, board issues. Um, is Brian Lone going to get an extension to his contract or not? And then you look at the performances, that are, the two performances that they're after delivering now. Like, is, it, is it 98 since they beat Tipperary and Cork in the championship? Like two huge, like maybe you could say Tip and Cork uh, miss, misfired and you could probably, there's credence to that, but two huge wins. Like that was probably a two-point hammering yesterday, realistically. Like Clare were much the better team. And, you know, I'm kind of half thinking then of, if they can get Aidan McCarthy back on the pitch, David Reedy back on the pitch, Mark Rogers. They have a lovely blend now. Um, Peter Duggan coming back in. You often would say about a lad that's been out of Championship Hurling for three years that he's going to be rusty. Um, so maybe there is a tiny element of rust, but there's also this crazy hunger and he's just setting a mad intensity in the forward line. And further afield, he'll go anywhere to get the ball. He'll go anywhere to put in a tackle. Got a great hook even on the keeper yesterday as well. Just You can't buy things like that. Um like Robin Mouncey, who was, you know, unheralded. Nobody really knew of him coming into, into this year. Absolutely flying. Thought it was a, a shrewd move to put him in on, on Robert Downey and give him uh, a pace, a pacey player against a bigger player. And I think something that Brian Lowen probably doesn't get credit for. He gets credit for, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Brian Lowen teams would be real motivated to be in your face. They will be. But they're also, also really tactically astute. Tony Kelly going in corner forward against Watford last year. Probably the winning of the game that day. Robin Mounty going in full forward on on Robert Downey when everyone thinks it's going to be two giants going toe-to-toe with Duggan going up against Downey. Just really kind of shrewd move. Shane O'Donnell going out wing forward. Had never played anywhere but inside up until this year. Everybody expects him to be playing inside and teams are preparing for that. He's out wing forward and he's, you know, re- totally rejuvenated. So I think Brian Lowen and his management team deserve huge credit for that. Really, really tactically astute moves. And, uh, I think they're a really, really enjoyable team to watch, I have to say, because they mix that swashbuckling old school, old school style with, you know, between the lines and possession based uh, when they have to. And uh, I'd always look at, I love like cornerbacks. I love looking at corner, different types of cornerbacks. And in Rory Hayes at the moment, they just have, you know, he's, he's an absolute oh, nightmare. He's, he's good, like, he's quality. Like Eddie, like he'd be, he matches up perfectly and just looking at even like a, the corner forward like you back in your day. Like, what do you need as a cornerback now? You need to be really good in the ball, you need to be tenacious, you need to be fast. Like, he has, he's a beautiful mix of, you know, what the modern-day cornerback, a bit like Sean Finn, to be honest with you. Obviously, he's not at that level yet. But they've got, you know, they have an awful lot of potential. And um looks like they've one foot, one foot in the All-Ireland, uh, the preliminary All-Ireland quarterfinal at the moment. And Cork have, Cork have been bad the two days, but you really have to, have to 
doff your hat to Clare. They've been brilliant the last two days. Yeah, they have, and and you'd have to admire them, like you said there. I, I I spoke about this. I think Brian Lowen has done a superb job with everything that's going on there. He has managed to separate both the off-field stuff and really, really builds what is a very strong bond among that group of players. And just on the Peter Duggan there, even the last day against Tip, I thought what was brilliant about him, he's snarling, like he's growling at the ref. He's, you know, he's really abrasive. And uh, I think even the Shane O'Donnell one is brilliant. A good hurler like him needs to be involved in the action. Sometimes he can be inside and not, not getting that quality supply. So out the field, again, another nice bit of tactical news there to free him up to say, look, when you look at even, did he get a point yesterday where he just broke off out behind the centre forward and suddenly all the Cork lads are looking around. There he is picking up the ball all on his own and slotting a lovely point. Just on the Cork point of view, Will, because you were asking about Cork, you know, whether it was a Clare or was a Cork, like... Karen Kingston said after yesterday, you know, about some of the criticism they got, you know, in the wake of the Limerick game. And it just, he, he questioned whether, you know, that was something to do with their nervousness, I think was the word he used at the start of the game. I don't know. I would have expected a completely different reaction anyway. I, I would have expected, you know, them to be really in Claire's faces and ha- really want to prove a point in those early minutes, make it a physical contest. You know, they didn't make it a physical contest against Waterford in the league final. They didn't make it a contest really physically against Limerick. And, you know, they were standing off Clare at different stages yesterday. Clare allowed to play, you know, a sharp puck out to a lad who was still free at the 45 and he plays the ball into space to somebody and the ball goes over the bar. Just really strange things like that. the fact that they didn't at least maybe press Clare and make them win a ball. Clare actually struggled to win primary ball against Tipperary when they had to go along. So you're thinking from a core point of view, make them, you know, make them go along. And they just gave them a lot of softball yesterday. I just thought it was very, very strange. But, but if I can just jump in quickly on that, Michael, you know, we talk about the internal matches that we used to play. And I spoke about this last week about what Limerick are doing. In 2001, you know, we were trained away in these lovely matches. And then we got hit by Galway with abrasive in-your-face hurling, you know, you had two young lads, uh, Tierney and Richie Murray, went to Andy Comfort and Brian McAvoy. And the two boys sailed up to the clash. The point I'm trying to make is, if you're not expecting something, it becomes a shock to you. If you don't train with intensity, with physicality, with the whistle put away in the, in the manager's pocket, and you, you, you condition yourself, yeah, you don't want lads playing stupid. But if you're not ready for championship fair, and you're training this lovely skillful hurling which I'm wondering is that what Cork are doing in training because when they come to a match they can't seem to get to that intensity level where it's just literally sometimes it's just me and you and we dog it out you know does that element just seems to be missing from Cork at the moment and I'm just saying I'm surmising that well if you train one way you're very, it's very hard to switch that when you get to a championship match. Just on that Kevin Walsh has a great saying the former Galway manager about taking guys into the ugly zone yeah. And you wonder, are they being taken into the ugly zone? Are they taking each other into the ugly zone in training? And then are they braced for that when it happens in a championship game? Because it doesn't look like it at the moment. And if they're beaten next time out, it'll be the first time in history that Cork have been beaten in four consecutive senior hurling championship games. And just, well, it looks like there's no way back for them this year at the moment, you'd have to say. And after being in last year's All-Ireland final, I kind of worried about whether there were psychological scars then you carry on the psychological scars in the league final. Then you carry on the psychological scars in Limerick game. And it just kind of looks irreversible at the moment. And they finish off with two away games as well to make things worse. So a long way back for Cork at the moment. But for now, Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. No matter at all, Will. Well, we'll turn our attention to football now on the Throw-In Podcast. And we're delighted to be joined by Dick Clerkin. And Dick, we'll start with that big result in Ulster yesterday. Tyrone, beating, or Tyrone losing side Derry 118 to 10 points. And... If Toronto fans were feeling bad this morning, you know, reading your column, I think they probably would have felt a good bit worse. You, you question whether they were the beneficiaries of maybe a lucky COVID impact at All-Ireland uh, last year, as well as, you know, covering today or yesterday's defeat. You know, for you, where are Toronto at now? You know, the, the, there was a lot of kind of warning signs coming into the Derry game, the, the amount of people leaving the panel, you know, a pretty mediocre league. And then to get such, such a comprehensive beating on home soil yesterday, they're in a very strange position at the moment. It is, and I suppose, yes, probably a wee bit harsh what I sort of said this morning. But I suppose looking at Tyrone over the last, say, 12, 16 months, either side of their sort of All-Ireland win, which effectively boiled down to nearly two big games against uh, Kerry and Mayo, you know, their their form has been very 
I suppose, average, you know, you know, bring them back to where sort of the, the rest of the pack is. So, you know, again, it's such a, it's a, such a fall. Well, it, was, it was such a, a step up last year from where they were to win it, and it's such a step back. I suppose it begged the question, was there something else at play in terms of how they how they got that All-Ireland last year in terms of, you know, the Kerry game and all the, the background to that? But at the same time, you know, you can't really take away from what Derry brought. And I suppose that's maybe what the focus should be on. I suppose from a modern point of view, I was talking to, to, to Seamus last night at a function. And, you know, he's very conscious now that, it was probably a very easy game for Monon to motivate themselves for Throne, you know, what you're playing against and it's, you know, all that backstory, whereas Derry now is is still a bit of an unknown package because, you know, they have huge fitness, they have some great players and it'll all be very new and novel for, for, for the Monon players playing against that in, in, in a semi-final. So, you know, whatever with Throne, there's obviously, and, and stuff will probably come out, there's obviously stuff not right in the camp. It's plainly evident when you see a team underperforming like that and, and ill-discipline issues as well on the pitch. It sort of smacks of a team that's just, you know, there's something, there's something not, there's not something not going well. But in terms of Derry on the day, you know, Rory Geller had his has had his homework done, and and he got a massive performance out of his players. Yeah, I think that's eight red cards in Toronto's nine games in the league and championship this season. I think I saw this morning, which obviously, as you say, tells its own story regarding the ill-discipline issues. Michael, yeah, like Derry, they've been threatening, you know, for a while to have that big scalp. They were you know, very narrowly defeated by Donegal last year, just missed out in promotion. And, you know, Rory Gallagher's obviously been targeting this game. And, you know, to not, to not only win, but to win by 11 points and also have a, like a number of chances to kind of maybe put the scoreline even more out of reach. It's just how emphatic, Dick, isn't it? It was. That's the real impressive part of it, isn't it? Just how emphatic it was. Like, oh, like from start by, to finish, yeah. like, even, even, even before the red card. Like they were still, you know, comfortably the better team, and you know, they were full of running and thrown were sort of just sort of staying with Derry. Um, you say after after the after the, the the red card, you know, there was only ever going to be one winner, and and even like that's that's an easy excuse even to give thrown. Like there's plenty of top teams lose players in games and come back and do what you have to do. You know, you think of Dublin over the years when when they had done something similar. What was the the All Ireland final in? In nineteen, wasn't it? Who went off? Um, Johnny Cooper. Cooper. Um, remember that? And you know, top teams do what you have to do to try and you know get through the game. You know, thrown just just crumbled. So listen, there's there's obviously you know it's, it's a panel, and then you go going back to all the defections and people leaving the panel, which was very strange. You know, let's let's be honest. You know, just after winning all Ireland, and all the feel good, and you've got six or seven players for whatever reasons deciding to leave the panel. Um, anyway, that's they're not the story today. In some ways, you know, it is really about Derry. Like from one point of view, we're looking at them, but at the same time. And I did mention it in the column. Don't write thrown off. It's not. It'll not be the first time if they sort of gather themselves and and sort of uh, battle down and come come through the qualifiers, which actually might suit them. You know, they'll pick up maybe like the qualifiers used to do. Now it's a wee bit different this year. You don't have the bottom sixteen, which used to be a great, not to be unfair to the teams down there, a great way to get back up and running. You know, a couple of easy draw, a couple of easy results. You know, you you you, you sort of get back into a bit of winning mentality. And, and get up and going again, so they could face a fairly tough draw straight away, which will be which will be interesting because, as I say, um, it's just looking like a panel that's just not in sync and a bit maybe even low in confidence. I would I would say the qualifiers are such a sharp tank now. Tyrone yeah. have negotiated really well before, and even like you know that hammering to Kerry in the league last year, and they were able to bounce back uh, pretty quickly. But it just the how frustrated uh, a lot of the players looked like Brian Kennedy lashing, like Brian Kennedy takes a mark midfield and un- unless your man had clotheslined him or something, his reaction was just totally needless and totally over the top. Then Conor McKenna frustration as well, like throwing the ball at someone, just silly kind of petulant things that you just don't associate with a team that is where everything is on song behind the scenes. So that's a bit worrying from their point of view, but they have plenty of previous and turn it around from a Derry point of view, as I was just saying there, just how emphatic it was. It wasn't three or four points. They were kicking on, kicking on. They were looking for more, looking for more. And, you know, that Galway game aside in the league, like they've been absolutely brilliant the last two years. Brilliant the last two years. And, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's just, like, that's, it's, you know, they would have circled that game in the calendar from a long way out to make a statement. And they made it yesterday. And it just, the, pre, the it's funny, like we're probably all looking at or thinking maybe that it was going to be a Tyrone Monaghan semi-final with the pressure on Tyrone. Now, all of a sudden the pressure is probably on Monaghan, which makes it even more intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And like, I suppose to be fair to Derry and Derry's like a, a, a 
few counties that I suppose basically for the best part of when I was playing, you always got the sense that as a county, they were never fully behind the county team. And a lot of, you know, there's always issues with club players and club rivalries. And, and most years you knew that it wasn't, you know, the best of what Derry had out playing. Whereas probably yesterday in Oma, I, I, I'd say it's the first time in a long time that, you know, that was, a, you know, probably the best Derry team in terms of, you know, you look, you look at those Slock Neal players, you know, and, and these boys have been around a long time, you know, playing, you know, for, for Slock Neal, like, like the Brenton Rogers, Chrissy McKeague, then you Connor Glass, who has been, you know, if you were to pick one player that, that seems to, not just what he does himself, but I, I, you get the sense that he is a real sort of leadership type figure in that group. Which Derry would have been missing for for, for a lot a lot of time that you know they hadn't you know they hadn't got sort of players that sort of everything knitted around lots of great individuals whereas he is such a selfless player he, he actually he, he makes other players better you know in, in in the way he sort of just controlled the game controlled the kickouts you know knitted forward play and then allowed the likes of Shane McGuigan and all the players young McGinnis to to join in and I just think they've got a really strong centre. And they've got really solid players around it that can just play and and, and listen and they're fit and they're fit and fresh and hungry and it doesn't really matter, you know, at this level, you know, if you're most players are, are, are capable football ways, but in terms of fitness, if you've that level of fitness and freshness and hunger that those dairy boys have, you know, there's not a lot they can't do. Yeah, and just in terms of circling the game in the calendar, I thought it was funny at the final whistle. The players seemed quite calm and very focused. It was Rory Gallagher who was kind of bouncing around, you know, <laughs> grabbing guys in bear hugs because uh, he obviously wanted it maybe even more so that, than some of the players. I know his rivalry from when he was in Donegal with Tyrone was, was pretty fierce. Michael, what do you make of the pecking order generally now? Like we have the two All Ireland uh, finalists from last year already into the qualifiers. You know, I think that there's a, a you know exception or kind of an acceptance of carrier number one after winning the league so comprehensively, but it seems very much in flux after that. Yeah, big time. Yeah, um, and you're putting you're putting Kerry at number one despite the fact that they've misfired at key stages in big games. You know, since 2019, the, the drawn game, the All Ireland final in 2019, uh, the Cork game in 2020, the Tyrone game last year. So they're kind of number one by default in a way, just because of the the maybe the ill fortunes of others, but that's kind of a dangerous position for them to be in as well. Like if you if you, like they obviously won the league quite comprehensively, but they haven't proved it at you know, and there's that there's doubts about them when push comes to shove. We won't know until we get to the, the semi-final or all Ireland final stage. As regards the pecking order, um did we learn much about Dublin on Saturday night? Pro- probably not too much, but um it was a case. I think it was a case for their defence maybe the other night. Even though that might sound strange playing against a Division Four team, but they just coughed up very few opportunities. Looked very very tight at the back, and I saw some commentary wondering, you know, why at times were they playing with a seven defender against a Division Four team? Like, it doesn't matter whether you're playing Division Four team or Division One team. They're preparing for teams down the line and trying to get a structure in place. So you're not just going to play this gung-ho football against a Division 4 team and then turn on some sort of a structure when you play a better team. So I was impressed with that aspect of them the other night. And obviously, Conor Callaghan coming back as well just just lit up the attack, really. He was quite quite enough in the first half. But like, did, did he get seven shots at goal um, and score 1-6? I think the guts of it and was just so elusive and his ability to find space and with a, a bounce of a ball or a little sidestep. And he just he just looked, you know, unbelievably good considering he hasn't played the league. And Brian Fenton got into one-on-one situations with extra players the other day and just curled over, you know, some great scores as well. And they just, yeah, they missed, they missed a decent bit as well and they will have plenty to work on. But I would just, from a Dolan point of view, I'd say they'd be happy with their defence and just how solid they were and just coughing up very few opportunities. You can see the four points in the championship game. And if you compare this game with the, the Wexford game 12 months ago, like poles apart. This was really, really comprehensive, really, really professional. So I think they'll be happy enough that they're tipping along and they'll be, after the Leinster draw uh, last night, you know, they'll be fairly resounding favourites going into that me game and you would expect them to get the job done by six or seven minimum, probably. Yeah, Dick, it's a funny one, like as Michael referred to the la- last year's game against Wexford for Dublin, because, you know, obviously they're playing a Division 4 team, they won by, what, 23 points. You'd almost expect that, but they were so pedestrian in the opening championship game last year that, you know, even I suppose some of the attacking play from Conor Callahan was mentioned there, and a couple of the other forwards, you know, does maybe bode well for them because they they really struggled last year to put away a similar team. 
Yeah, and, and listen, we have to give them credit. Like poor Desi Farrell and Dublin are taking a kick in at every angle. So listen, they went out and, and, and done what they had to do. You know, they got a kick in the you know, took a lot of a black last year for going down and putting in a very flat performance for Wexford and everybody sort of went back to that and said that was that was the start of their downfall. So the opposite does apply, you know, and you have to give them credit. They went down there. You know, they probably did say, you know, in other years, they just said, well, this is a formality. And said, no, lads, this is not a formality. We have to go down here and put in a mass performance. You know, their backs are against the wall. doesn't matter who they're playing. As, 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 as Michael said, they had to sort of deploy the structure and the type of play that not, is just not going to beat Wexford, but that they can trust on and rely when they get to Croke Park at the bigger stages later in the year. And that's, that's what they've done. They just went, went out. Very, very matter of fact. And uh, put in a put in put in put in a big shift, which they probably weren't in that same state of mind when, when they went down last year, and probably just knew well, we're going to get this done. And we're a bit flat, um, and they don't want to. They don't want that sort of hanging over them again last year, because obviously that lack of form and the negative press it is debilitating for a panel. So it's, you know, even though they're, they're still not going to shake off where the league sort of left them, you know, having that results, albeit against Division 4 side, it'll be a positive. He'll be going back to the dressing room uh, tonight or tomorrow and say, right, lads, that's, that's a green tick. That's all we had to do, put in a big performance, you know, make, make it in, in no certain terms that we're, we're, we're still here um, and we're not falling off the, the, off, off, off the page like everyone else might think, and, and they very much done that. Thought it was very interesting, Will, to hear Brian Fenton talking after about having a chip on the shoulder and a point to prove. They've never, they've never really had a point to prove before. It's they were just breaking records, and it was a matter of defending against complacency almost. But they do have a point to prove now, um, and uh, they probably have a little score to settle in their own minds based on the the Mayo game last year and their league performances as well. So it'd be really interesting to see how they react to that. First signs would suggest that they reacted pretty well to it, albeit playing against the Division 4 team. But they got back to doing what you expect Dublin to do, real ruthless efficiency. So from their point of view, I'd say that probably bodes well for what follows over the next weeks and months. And you were at the Mead-Wicklow game and obviously Dublin drew Mead in the semi-final draw uh, last night. You know, what did you see from Mead yesterday? Like I know you said Dublin would be resounding favourites, but would you give Mead much of a chance of springing an upset? Uh, not not based on yesterday, Will, to be honest with you. Um, there's some debate now about whether Jack O'Connor's goal after 9.5 seconds was the fastest goal in championship history. I see I see a goal been, been showed uh, online, a goal that Dublin scored against Offaly in 1992 that's been said that it was eight seconds. But I think th- this probably points to um, a lack of... Uh, a lack of, you know, somewhere within the GA where all these stats and facts are centralised. I just think the GA should invest whatever they need to invest to make sure that we know how much Dick Clerken has scored in championship and how many appearances he's had. And it's not just up to some... Do you want to know? Do you want to know, Vic? Do you want to know? <laughs> I'd say you probably know offhand, Dick. I don't say you have to go through any... <laughs> but I, I think there does need to be a centralised place for all that stuff. That's just a little aside. And I think it would be well worth the investment because we're basically... Um, we're cementing our history almost. Um, but uh, on, on that called point, Wikipedia, it's called Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, Wikipedia. I tell you, if you're relying on Wikipedia, we, we all rely on it every every yeah. Sunday night. <laughs> but um, just from from a me point of view, did I did I see much that could trouble Dublin? You know, not particularly. They hit seven fourteen when they played Wicklow two years ago and absolutely blew them away. Goals were again the difference uh, yesterday, but you know. The, I suppose the most encouraging thing from a Mead point of view is that they were able to get Donald Keoghan back in the field, Conor McGill back in the pitch, Brian Menton and in form, and Jordan Morris was, was lighting it up in the second half. But, you know, it would take a big departure. I didn't see anything yesterday. I didn't see an intensity yesterday that they'll need to trouble Dublin, let alone, let alone beat them. So I think based on league form as well, I'd say expectations are pretty low, probably from a Mead point of view going into that game. It's going to be interesting to see where those games are fixed for as well whether it's a double header in Crow Park or whether they give the two games potentially to provincial venues and maybe try and get uh, two big crowds to provincial venues for probably, you know, play them as standalone games. It's going to be interesting from that point of view, but I didn't see anything from me that would suggest a big shock is coming. Yeah, and Dick Kildare, another team who might be helping to, to get a crack at Dublin in the Leinster Championship. Because their game against Loud was an interesting one. Loud's coming in with a lot of positivity, you know, getting promotion, getting a good win over Carlo. But then Kildare kind of really putting them to the sword in the end and kind of highlighting that even though Loud are on the right track, there's still a massive gulf between, you know, playing a Division 1 team. I know Kildare got relegated, but they were in Division 1 this year and, like, you know, operating at a slightly lower level. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in hindsight, yes, but there was a lot of Kildare people who were to that game very, very nervous um, because, you know, Kildare have shown over the years that sometimes in championship football, you, you don't know what team's going to turn up. And they've lost games like that in the past, you know, no more so. I go back to, when was it, 2010, wasn't it, when Louth done the run? You know, Kildare, again, there would have been a similar gulf between the two teams, you would have thought, and, and didn't show up in a, in a, I think it was a Leinster semi-final they lost against Carlo a couple of years ago. So, you know, a lot of people from Kildare were sort of sort of doubting really where the team is. So to put a real emphatic performance in like that will give them great confidence. And you know, they should they, you know they took a lot of confidence how they competed really well in the league um, and obviously got a few good results there. So, so this will give them a real pep and set, but a very favorable draw there. Now they do not want to look too far ahead, but at the same time, Glen Ryan will be saying, lads, there's a serious opportunity. And he'll have to manage that now in terms of expectations, but equally try and prep and get his, his team ready for a real crack at, at likely Dublin. Um, as you said, Michael, like they should have enough now. But at the same time, like me, no more than Kildare, like this is the best opportunity me either or Kildare have had in how many years to really, you know, take Dublin down in the province. You know, and... and like, me can't be getting the sort of a, a free pass to say, oh, Dublin's still away. Like they're Dublin are, you know, yes, they had a good result against Wexford, but they're still well back from from where they were. Like me should be really having a good go at that game. And if they gain, if they don't turn up again and just roll over, it's a really, really poor, poor showing from a me point of view. I'd expect them to to compete a lot better than maybe some people would be letting away with because as I say, Dublin are are, are further back to them. Me, yes, they've been sort of stop starting over the last four or five years on and under Annie McIntyre. But I think there's enough there. As you said, the boy, the players that have back will add to them because they miss those in the league. They just seem to be very sort of, you know, indifferent in the league, but done enough to get to get in division two. So those players back should set them up now for having a good proper cut at Dublin in the semi-final. But but Kildare, yeah, they'll be in they'll be in, they're in a good place and and you know keep keep an eye out, keep it keep an eye out for them. Yeah, and I enjoyed how Mead manager Andy McIntyre wasn't even giving away whether his son would be involved against uh, <laughs> Dublin. He was being very coy. He's like, I know when he's coming back, but will he be involved? I don't know about that. Yeah, so that remains to be seen as well. And one of the interesting stories over the weekend, Michael, was the first ever football penalty shootout in the championship. You know, Limerick, you know, booking their place in the bunch of semi-final. You know, an interesting departure from from the norms, but it made for great drama. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, unbelievable drama. Um, obviously couldn't watch it the other night, so I just turned on Claire FM and just great to li- to listen to it. The the drama surrounding it. I think all the all the Claire supporters, a lot of young fellas, are down behind one goal, or and uh, the referee decided to put the penalties down the other goal. And as Derek Lynch from Claire FM said, it was like a snooker table tipped them <laughs> over. All the young lads ran down to the back of the the other goal where the penalties were happening. Um. Yeah, just unbelievable drama. Listen, I, I, whether it's the right or wrong thing to do, I'm not sure. I think it probably places... Um, I'm looking at the Sunday game last night and I'm just think, looking at the Clare lads that miss penalties and you're almost, you know, being painted by some maybe as the villains of the piece now, even though you missed a penalty, which I think is very harsh. I, I prefer something like the golden score, to be honest with you. Whoever gets the next score in extra time wins the game. Maybe that could take 10 or 15 minutes if there was a lot of players behind the ball or whatever. But I think I think a team actually has to go and win it there. Um, I think that might be better. But it was massive drama the other night. Claire will, Claire will see it as another missed opportunity. I think Colin Collins has played Kerry in the Munster Championship six, six out of nine times he's been in Munster. And the other three times they haven't been able to make it to a Munster final. And given how consistent they've been since he took over, going from four to three to two and staying in Division Two, that'll be disappointing and like they missed an opportunity and they missed loads of opportunities the other night they were just really really wasteful I think it was 17 wides all told whereas Limerick were just really really efficient even the, the full back Brian Fanning str- striding forward to get that goal like he did and just how cool he was in front of goal um, and I do have um, just on a Limerick point of view everyone remembers Tipperary winning Munster in 2020 but Limerick were so unlucky to be edged out by by Tipperary in extra time, and they could have been in that monster final. So it's a you know it's a real you know a good pat in the back for Billy Lee for the work that he's done. Fifty three players refused to join the Limerick panel in in 2018. He made fifty three unsuccessful calls, and you know four years later they're within a good shot of a monster final, and they're in Division Two, and they're in the in the shadows of the Green Giants of the Hurlers. And they're performing unbelievably well. But just, yeah, real dramatic 
championship action the other night. It was brilliant. It was brilliant even just to listen to it. You could feel the buzz around the ground. And uh, just a pity there had to be someone, some uh, loser in that uh, in that regard. And just on that Tipperary Limerick game you referred to a few years ago, Connor Sweeney's sideline uh, yeah. ball to put in the extra time was probably the score of that season. And Dick, I might give you the last word. Then you know we're a couple of weeks into the, the football championship. Like generally, what have you made of the standard? Like, have you have you been enthusiastic about what you've seen over the course of the first few weeks? Ah, yeah. Listen, I I think it's we've had a, a couple of good games. We had even the the. the the Donegal Armagh game didn't live up. Um, even though it was an upset, it wasn't a great contest in Oma yesterday. Like really and truly, it was sort of more, you know, the the the, the strangeness of the of the results. So it, it 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 still has to get going. Yeah. Aside from probably the the Galway Mayo game, really haven't and and, and what was worrying, and, and I'm sure people from Crow Park are looking at it. You know the attendances and the crowds at some of those provincial games have been have been fairly poor. That there should be a lot of empty seats, and you just wonder. Maybe it's the and I mentioned this in the column this morning as well. It just doesn't feel like the right time of the year for a lot of these games. And a lot of people, you know, just don't sort of see we're in championship season yet, and and the games and the and the energy certainly isn't there yet. Now, obviously, as we get to semi final stage and, and and the better teams come to the top, better contests, it will improve. But um, I think. I think we, 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 we're not, we're not, it doesn't feel like proper, proper championship just yet for me from a few games that I've sort of been and watched um, in terms of the crowds. And maybe, you know, it was, it was really disappointing stuff now in Clonus on Saturday and, and, and really dire stuff from down. Like there were so few down people there. I know it was a terrible day and it was so poor. And that's, that's never good for, for I mean, people talking about the Ulster Championship and, 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 and the competition that it is, you know, that was, that was really great from a modern point of view, but from a, from a, from a wider perspective, it was, it was, it was deflating up stuff now in, in, in Thomas on Saturday. Um, so this is really looking forward to two weeks time, you know, it's going to be a novel semi-final in Armagh. Um, I wouldn't say it's going to be jam-packed either. We'll probably sort of say it's going to be tight to get tickets if Tron get to it. You know, Derry aren't the biggest followers. I'm sure they'll, they'll get, start to get behind their team. Um, you have Donegal and Cav, and be interesting to see what way that goes out. It could be competitive, and again, it could be, you know, easy enough walking for uh, for Donegal um, in the semi-final because they'll not they'll be sort of have the fresh the memories of what happened in uh, a couple of years ago in Armagh. So, as I say, we've 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 a bit to go yet. Um, hopefully, we'll get a few more competitive games, but um, hasn't really caught fire yet for me. Will great stuff, Dick. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, good stuff, folks. That's all we have time for on the Tron podcast this week, but we will be back later in the week with a Philly McMahon podcast looking ahead to all the football action next weekend. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.